0: Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast. Headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhardt.
1: We've all noticed it, rising gas prices and inflation overall have people really tightening their budgets and rethinking their commutes even, particularly here in New Mexico, where we drive on average more than half of the United States.
2: In the land of enchantment, we've seen prices hit close to $5 a gallon. Just this week, data from the American Automobile Association, or AAA as most of us know it, They showed the national average for gas was just under $4.50 a gallon. That's a two-month low, according to Bloomberg.
1: Yeah, I was driving by gas stations this week after paying close to $450 a gallon last week. And then I saw prices go down to like $420, thinking, man, it's gone down. But then I think a lot of people are thinking, if this is our low, what does this mean going forward?
2: So certainly, gas isn't the only thing we're paying more for these days. The price of produce, grocery items, pretty much everything there has gone up. We've heard a little bit about the supply chain crisis and how that's factored into this, even here on this podcast. So when might we see some relief more importantly Will we see some relief? I think those questions are all still on our mind.
1: I was just talking about this with a coworker yesterday who said her dog food was $10 more than she's used to paying. Chris, is there something you normally buy that sticks out as being way more expensive than it used to be?
2: This is gonna be ridiculous because I don't actually buy these all that often, but Oreos, I have noticed, (laughs) are actually extremely more expensive than they usually are. And anyway, I've seen them for like $5 a pack, which is to me crazy. Yeah, that
1: is crazy there's not even that many in them for me it's like eggs and milk i'm like man even that has just gone way up
2: so we wanted to talk a little bit more about this and on the line with us today from the university of new mexico professor janie shermack she is the department of economics chair and has been on the faculty since 1995 her research focuses on natural resources energy economics thank you for joining us we appreciate you professor shermack
1: Thank you for having me. We're seeing record highs in a lot of places. We saw inflation of items, you know, rise 9% across the U.S. in just a year. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, that's the largest 12 month increase in four decades. We know there are several contributing factors, including the war in Ukraine, but let's just start with gas prices. How can you best explain why we're seeing such high gas prices right now? Well,
0: I think that there is a number of reasons and you have to think about gasoline, not in isolation, but rather gasoline as being the product from crude oil. You mentioned the Ukraine. Um, And so we're seeing a number of things. So gas prices normally rise during the summer, uh, but not. To the extent that we're seeing them this year, so I think there's a few things that are really kind of coming, you know, showing sticker shock, if you will. Number one, in the last couple of years, we've been in a pandemic, and people changed their habits quite substantially uh, so what we're seeing today we're comparing to last year or the year before which may have been artificially low compared to where we were say three or four years ago so I think you have to put it in perspective from there but when we talk about the idea of crude oil crude oil is about a hundred dollars a barrel today it's been substantially higher than that in the last couple of months but if you think about crude oil being the input into producing gasoline then you actually I think have to look at the crude oil markets to see why is gasoline so expensive? And there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, number one, uh, the war in Ukraine that you that you mentioned, that certainly is an impact given that Russia is one of the largest producers of oil in the world. Added to that is the fact that OPEC reduced their production of oil during the pandemic, and they're slowly trying to bring that back, I think, to pre-pandemic levels. But at the same time, it's not there yet. And then if we look at the United States, which is the largest producer of oil at this point in time. There have been some reductions in the production from oil in the United States as well. And I think oil companies are maybe a little slower to move back to more production or more drilling just because of the uncertainty for some of the things that you've mentioned.
2: The low that we mentioned right off the top of the episode, um, can drivers in New Mexico expect to see gas prices go down anytime soon, do you think? Um, we know you don't have a crystal ball, of course, but we are looking at a situation where it's been a long time already. Is it going to be another several months? Is it going to be years or is it weeks?
0: You know, it's. I think it's going to depend upon a few factors. And I think one of the things that we always see about uh, gasoline prices is, when there's an impact that results in an increase, it's a very rapid increase. And yet when we see, you know, uh, movement in the other direction, it's always a much slower reduction in prices that we tend to see. So if we look at a couple of the factors, like what's the consideration for oil right now? Um, from what I've seen, it would seem that people are probably suggesting that prices of oil are gonna stay around hundred dollars a barrel, perhaps. Um, there is the potential that in August OPEC is going to increase their production back to I think 10 million barrels a day. That's going to help a little bit, but you know all of those things I think are going to be dependent upon what else happens in the economy. So I would say for right now, and I don't have a crystal ball, uh, but I would think that there will be some decline in gas prices. I think I saw prices as low as 395 when I drove by a place yesterday. And so I would foresee them, I think coming down, they are not going to go back to the $2 a gallon I suspect. Uh, But you know, the other thing is this, as we move out of the driving season for summer, the demand for gasoline decreases. And so we tend to see a decline in prices in the fall anyway. So if oil continues to kind of stay where it is or maybe reduce in price a little bit, then that should probably help a bit. And as the driving season kind of comes to an end, I would hope that we see a a slight decline as well.
1: I remember in like the peak pandemic in 2020, when there were so few of us driving to work, it was like so cheap to fill up my car back then, like $2 a gallon.
2: When we think of prices going down, is there a ballpark of of maybe is that 20 cents, 30 cents, 40 cents, a dollar? I don't know. Or is that just too hard to say?
0: I think it's too hard to say because there are too many moving parts, quite frankly. And so to say that, oh, I think the forecast is going to be, you know, a price- below $4 across the US. I wouldn't want to put my reputation on that one. And part of it is also that there's a lot of variation across the United States. It depends on, you know, do we have refineries at uh, kind of full capacity? Are they putting as much oil through as they possibly can? How much are we exporting of our product of gasoline? Um and so it's a number of those pieces so, you know, I would hope that it is below the $4 mark, but uh I don't have a crystal ball there.
1: You kind of mentioned this uh, broadly, but what kind of indicators do you look at specifically as an economics professor to predict what we can expect in the coming months?
0: Well, I think, you know, the problem, and you, you mentioned inflation when we, when you started this podcast, you know, the problem with the price of energy going up is is that energy is used in almost everything that we produce. If you think of any good or service that we produce in the United States, energy is a part of it. And so when you're looking at this kind of overall, you know, where where do we go? The number then things that, you know, economists normally look at are going to be the unemployment levels. If there's a strong job market, that's usually good for the economy. But right now we have the problem of, well, there is a strong job market, um, although the unemployment uh, levels went up a little bit today from what I saw in terms of, of the newest report. But if there's a strong job market, And if you have a very low unemployment rate and if you don't have a supply chain or if you don't have the supply in order to be able to provide the level of goods and services that everybody who has money wants, all the stuff they want to buy, then basically you're going to see, you know, it's the quote of, too many dollars chasing too few goods. And so a lot of, I think that what we've looked at in the past is being, oh, I'm gonna look at the leading economic indicators. I'm gonna look at the consumer price index. I'm gonna look at the jobs reports. I'm gonna look at new housing starts. I'm gonna look at these pieces. There's just so many things that have changed or are out of whack, I'm gonna say, in the last couple of years, that it's hard to look at any one of them. It's almost, you have to look across the board, I would say, and say, okay, supply chain. You know, can we expect the supply chain to come back to something more normal? And by that, I'm saying pre-pandemic. That seems like it has a number of problems right now. Are we going to see increase in the production of oil? Uh, There's been a number of people in the last few years who've talked about the fact that there's been undercapitalization in the oil industry saying there hasn't been really enough capacity put in. Well, that's not going to change overnight. So it's all of these different pieces. And the problem, I think, right now is the timing of all of them. You know, can I look at that and say, oh, oil industry is going to be back to whatever normal is in three months? No, it probably isn't you know, are people going to reduce their spending in the next two to three months that would kind of alleviate prices? I think you're starting to see a little bit of that, but in the short run, it's really hard to change what you buy. Um, it's hard to reduce, you know, how many gallons of gasoline you use a week unless you cut down on how many uh, trips you make, or, you know, I'm only going to do all of my shopping on Saturday or whatever that happens to be. So in the short run, you know, I think you look at all of the kind of the small indicators of where are people changing and how is industry responding. And then the big question is, you know, this this whole question mark about what the Fed's doing in terms of interest rates and we're increasing interest rates to really historic from historic lows is what I would say. And as that happens, it slows the economy, which is good because that should slow inflation, but there is the potential of recession. So you look at all of the pieces and it's really complex at the moment and complicated. You mentioned the federal government,
2: and that leads me to a question of wondering if there is anything else the federal government can do to ease some of the burden. President Biden recently wrote a letter to the heads of the major oil companies like Exxon, Mobil, Chevron, and Shell, urging them to boost supplies and lower prices. He said, in part, quote, at a time of war, refinery profit margins well above normal being passed directly onto American families are not acceptable. ExxonMobil claims it is investing billions into U.S. oil production. But yes, is there anything else the federal government you think can do to address that situation?
0: Yeah, you know, I think I think the government is uh, it's in an interesting position because in the U.S. there is this strong, um, the strong push towards kind of free markets or a capitalistic economics structure, which says we are going to let the markets work and given what the regulations are on let's say the oil industry right now the markets are working they're responding to the supply and the demand pushes and shocks i would say and so i think in the short run uh, there is probably increased production that could come online that would alleviate a bit of of what we're we're seeing. I think the federal government, though, in the other cases, uh, there has been some releases from the Strategic Oil Reserve, but that's really a stopgap measure, and it's not going to make a big difference. Uh, There's been a discussion of, oh, we should have a, a tax holiday from the federal gas tax, which seems like, okay, that would help, right? But if we think about it, I think the federal gas tax is somewhere on the order of 30 cents a gallon, something like that. And if you would have a holiday from that, that really is not going to result in all 30 cents reduction coming back to consumers. Long, complicated reasons in economics. But let's say 15 to 20 cents of that's going to come back. That reduces down the overall cost for gasoline. But how many gallons of gasoline does the average consumer you know, buy a month? Is it 100? If it's 100 gallons, that's what? Twenty cents times hundred—that's twenty dollars difference. So all of these things can help a little bit, but to think that there's a magic wand that can be—you know—let's make it all right—I I certainly don't think that is the case. Uh, you know, I think from the from the presidential perspective, there are some things that can do that makes a bit of a difference. Perhaps legislatively, there would be things that could be done, but that doesn't seem to be something that's happening very much at at a federal level right now. So part of it. This is going to take a little bit of time, I think.
1: I wanted to go back to one of the other things you just mentioned. How big of an impact is the prolonged war in Ukraine having on on this crisis, like sanctions in Russia and then being one of the major oil producers in the globe? all of these problems you said are going to be long-term fixes so how does that prolong the fixes?
0: I think that prolongs it uh, markets don't like uncertainty quite frankly market markets don't like shocks and um, you know the war in Ukraine I think the problem there is is that when we look at Russia you're exactly right Russia is the second largest producer of oil in the world right now in terms of country level and so there are a number of things that are happening there you know the idea of sanctions and the idea of reducing down you know consumption of of russian oil is meant to squeeze Russia into an economic problem where they would be more inclined, I think, to come to a, a negotiating table to end the war. As long as Russia can find alternative countries to buy their oil and they can finance their war, that really is not, the sanctions don't seem to be working in that respect. At the same time, if you are dependent upon Russian oil, As a country, um, the U.S. is not, by the way, in any way, shape or form, but there are a lot of other countries that are trying to juggle how you replace that oil with other oil or other reserves or other, you know, gasoline and diesel products is difficult. So I think this becomes, you know, this has become a large disruption at the world level, certainly from an economic perspective, certainly for those countries that have been dependent upon russian oil or are trying to sanction russian oil and as long as the war continues it just adds one more piece into the puzzle that is 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 problematic in having you know the economics in different countries be a little bit more stable
1: i've had friends who've rethought their careers recently and their long commutes particularly now with prices so high We know you're not a financial expert per se, but what advice might you have for listeners or even your students as far as budgeting right now? Should they brace for the long haul or should they ask for a raise from their employer? Good question. You know, given right now where and
0: and this is a little bit outside of the realm of my area, but, you know, given the tight labor markets right now, today's unemployment uh, numbers notwithstanding, it's probably a good time to ask for a raise. There's a number of, of companies and industries and government entities that, that I've talked to in the last few weeks. They're all having trouble holding on to their employees. And part of that is because it's fairly easy to jump ship and go find another job. So from that perspective, it probably is a great time to start a negotiation for some kind of uh, increase. Or some kind of compensation, if one does have a long commute, you know. I think, I think the problem is, is that uh, making a shift right now and saying. I'm going to quit my job and find a different one because I have to drive too far. That might be a little bit radical for right now. Uh, but the question is, is how long can you sustain the costs that you have for your transportation? It's going to be different for, for everybody. And then to try to gauge what your risk aversion or risk, you know, how risky you are in the choices that you make. And I think that's going to be different for everyone. The other question is, is, you know, can you take public transportation? The public uh, transportation system in Albuquerque has improved greatly over the years.
2: Are there any kind of conversations you're having about this matter with your students right now? Is there anything they're saying to you that's struck you?
0: My graduate students uh, are, are focused probably on specific areas. And so they kind of look at this, I think, more from the perspective of, you know, how it impacts their specific area of research or their focus.
1: I do imagine there might be some real-time tools that you could use as teaching tools as an economics professor. Is there anything specifically that we can learn from what's happening now? Sure. I mean, you know, it's like everything
0: is a trade-off is what I would say. So we're talking about these high prices. And yet in the state of New Mexico, our state has a large dependence on oil and gas revenues. So I think to look at it from the broader perspective, um, number one, right now, I think for the first four months of this year, so January through April, the tax revenues that were brought into the state were somewhere on the order of $1.7 billion. Uh, that's more than double what it was last year. That it, is, it is a record level, quite frankly. And so there are pieces of this that I think one has to look at the, the broader picture. So great, we have these large revenues in the state coming in which is good except that allows the state to continue to be dependent upon oil and gas at the same time we have this push towards uh you know zero carbon and renewable energy and i know this is kind of far afield from what your question is but you know does that push us more towards the renewable energy sector more quickly But then, if we think back to that idea at the state level, guess what? That now means our our revenues go down. This is you know everybody talks about this boom and bust cycle, and that's exactly it. Times are really good or times are really bad. I think more from the idea of gauging and looking at different pieces. And everybody talks back at the inflation levels that we had in the 1980s, um, which is what I think what you referenced at the beginning of this. You know, quite frankly, the the situation and the things that we're seeing right now, the characteristics are different. It's than what we saw in the 80s, and that was a fairly long term problem in terms of inflation levels. Recession and things like that. So, I think the tools or pe- the things that people can start to do is to look at the, all of the pieces of this. You know, what are the underlying parts that are important? And not to listen to a single broadcast, a single economist, or a single question of this. Is it just gas prices? Well, okay, yes, it's grass prices, but that's because of a lot of other things. So, if we see the oil industry starting to Increase production a bit that keeps us somewhere in the, I don't know, 95 to 105 dollar a barrel, which it would be nicer, perhaps a little bit lower than that. But if we see that, and if we see then the gasoline prices coming down, at least we'll start to see a stabilization of that, which then means you know there the the chances or the problems and the potential for a recession perhaps are going to be reduced. And if there is a recession, hopefully it'll be a little kind of a, a minor, small one. And I think the tools are you know, to do things like listen, listen to this podcast, but to get a broad perspective of this and to understand all of the pieces of it, rather than I think just focusing on one component.
1: You mentioned oil and gas revenues uh, as it relates to New Mexico. And, you know, we get these highs and lows. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham in the legislature this year issued a couple of gas or economic relief checks to New Mexico taxpayers. There's also been suggestions out there to distribute those oil and gas revenues back to New Mexicans in an annual type of check when there is a surplus. As an economics professor and not a politician, do you see one of these working better than the other for our local economy? Um,
0: well, you know, going to the second one first, which is this idea of a, of, of a permanent fund, which Alaska has, Norway has, those have worked better and worse at certain times during the year or during, during the last 40 years, let's say. Um, Norway, I think, has probably had the best um, use or the most stable permanent fund. And from what it seems from others' research is probably that's because of the size of the permanent fund. Um, Alaska ran into problems when oil production started to be reduced in the state and you no longer had this this pot of money that you could draw interest from. So I think the idea of saying, hey, let's just distribute that back to the the citizens of New Mexico every year, that has problems because, because of the fact that you have highs and lows in oil and gas prices, that means you're gonna have highs and lows in the amount of money that's distributed back. If you become more dependent on thinking that I'm gonna get back X dollars from, from you know the state this year, then hey, that becomes a very uncertain future in terms of what you're gonna to have to be able to budget for. So I think that's a problem. In the short run, if you think about distributing money back to people right now it's going to alleviate the pressure that they have for buying goods and services right now but the problem is is it's going to increase the demand for goods and services which is going to have the potential of increasing the prices so that is i think problematic so i, I that second idea of going to the permanent fund and just redistributing back i think is prob- is probably not good the idea of these occasional checks, um, that seems, again, and I think if you look at the COVID relief, uh, some of the other pieces, it's reduced the impact to people and it's helped greatly for a short period of time. And so that may be a more pinpointed way to help uh, you know, individuals In times of great need, something in between where maybe the distribution of checks was not to everyone because those people who have high, relatively high incomes probably take those checks and either buy non-essentials or they invest it. You know, that may not be what was meant. And so maybe something that was a little more nuanced in terms of who it went to may be a a, a better outcome in the longer run. I was
2: writing about the um, all the economic rebates, and, and at one point I I wrote on our website I, I had a line, you know, the summer of rebates continues. I can't remember a single time in my life, now thirty seven almost, where I have seen so many economic relief gas rebate, you know, COVID relief checks come my way. It's it's incredible it's true. just when you think about how many have been distributed this year. When you think back as well, I mean. This is a seemingly an unprecedented time for the amount of money that government has infused into um, just most Americans' lives.
0: I completely agree. I, I mean, I think if you think back to the Great Recession in 2009, 2010, there was a different way of distribution. And it was through things like tax holidays or um you know for for different federal taxes perhaps so i think you saw those things but they weren't as impactful because you don't really notice maybe a $15 increase in your in your monthly check just the sheer level of of rebates and assistance that's been around i think is unprecedented I would also say, as an economist um, and somebody who's been around a lot longer than you, you're 37 years, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's been a really unprecedented time in the last several years. Put, add COVID to everything. Add the war in Ukraine. Add the overall unrest add the number of natural disasters that we've seen in terms of forest fires. I think what you're seeing is simply a reaction to the number of impactful events that we've seen over the last several years.
1: Thanks again to UNM Professor Janie Shermack for taking the time to chat with us today about our economic woes and hopefully some good news.
2: And, And along the lines, as I was talking about the summer of rebates, August, there is another one. The state of New Mexico is handing out to every New Mexican taxpayer and those who applied to be a part of the program. That's a $250 check for everybody who is a single filer and a $500 check for everybody who files jointly and then again, The third tier of people are people who maybe don't file taxes, but applied to be a part of the program that, again, is considered an economic relief payment.
1: I can attest Chris McKee's articles about this topic are very thorough. You should be able to find all the answers to your questions about these rebates in his articles on KRQE.com.
2: We'll also post links to them so you can have a chance to click that link, whether you're in the episode or watching or rather listening to this through the podcast player that's on KRQE dot com slash podcast so post some links there enjoy uh we appreciate you guys listening of course if you have any questions comments concerns you can always reach out to us i'm chris dot mckee at krqe.com and also at chris mckee tv on social media That is now my Instagram handle there as well as
1: my Twitter handle. (laughs) We still need to get his TikTok handle, uh, but no, 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 (laughs) not shared. All right. You can also reach me, gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Thank you all for listening.